Welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Hi, this is Ken Blanchard. We need a new leadership model in business today, one that values both people and results, where leaders see their role as serving instead of being served. In this podcast, my friend and colleague, Chad Gordon, interviews experts who help us explore different aspects of leadership. I know you'll be encouraged and inspired by what you hear and you'll walk away with ideas and insights that will help you be the type of leaders others want to follow. Ready to get started? I'll be back at the end of the interview where I'll share what I've learned and how I'll be putting it into action. Now enjoy this installment of the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. Liz Wiseman, welcome to the Blanchard Leader Chat Podcast. How are you doing today? Chad, I'm doing well, and it's good to talk to you again. I know. I was. We were talking right before we started recording. You are a rare member of our two-timers club. Uh, obviously, you were here uh, months and months ago talking about multipliers. It, it's got to feel pretty special to be back, right? Well, it does. And, you know, I love the people at, um, you know, Blanchard and the organization. So I'm just delighted to be invited back and just to be associated with what you guys do, because the work you do is service-based and it's kind of one of the messages of this book. So I'm happy to be here. I appreciate that so much. And we're, it's, it's a mutual admiration society. We all love the things that you do and you put out such great stuff. And I'd love your books as well, because, you know, one of the goals that I have with this podcast and we have here at Blanchard is for people to, you know, to dig deeper into the learnings of, of the fantastic authors that we have, people like you and 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 this book, which is, you know, you you we obviously talked about it, you know, Multipliers was was the one that uh, put you on the New York Times bestseller list. This book is really, I see kind of a um kind of a an opportunity to build on that. You know, when you think about impact players and 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 your little the subline how to take the lead play bigger multiply your impact. What motivated you to write this book? Where did the research take you? Why did you get started with this 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 second this this extra book that you put out there? Well, you know, this is it's kind of multipliers was my post oracle therapy making sense of my experience there and yeah. in some ways this book which is my fourth is my post-multipliers therapy because I've spent, oh, I don't know, the better part of 15 years helping leaders lead in a way, you know, and sometimes change their mindsets and their behavior, lead in a way that people around them could contribute fully, you know, be able to use all their intelligence and their capability. And, you know, in some ways, what leaders can do to get out of the way and help people play big. And then I realized, you know, somewhere into that 15-year journey that it's not just the leader's job, that there really is another side to this story. And it's probably best captured in a comment I got when I was out teaching a multipliers workshop. And I think it was at Salesforce. It was definitely up in San Francisco. And one of the, the managers who was in this workshop, I think it was one of the engineering managers, he he raised his hand all excited. He's like, hey, yeah, I get it. I want to be a multiplier leader. And I know there's things I need to do, but you know, you can't multiply zero. And Chad, I was like, like frozen at this comment. I'm like, what is he saying? Is he saying that the people who work for him are a bunch of zeros? Mm. And I was just about to like go into 
my little speech at on, you know what, everyone brings intelligence and, you know, it comes in different forms and your job as a leader is to figure out the unique intelligence that people bring. And then I realized that's not what he's talking. He's not saying his team, they're dummies. What he's saying is I need to bring certain mindsets and practices as the leader, but the way that the contributor shows up, that matters as well. Like people have to come wanting to contribute everything they've got. And I'm like, oh, you know, it's so true. And if I've learned anything studying some of the best and worst worst leaders around the world is that people do come to work every day wanting to contribute everything they have. And, you know, it's exhilarating when they can. And, and honestly, it's, you know, it's exhausting when they can't. And while everyone wants to contribute fully, I think there's a lot of people who learn to hold back. Like their work experience has taught them to hold back. Their diminishing bosses have taught them to hold back. Maybe they were part of a real command and control kind of culture that has taught them to just like do your job, do what you're told, follow direction. And and that, you know, the way the work world is um, sort of structured right now with so much uncertainty and ambiguity, if people just kind of show up and do their job, you know, they're not going to be able to do the real job. And so that is really what launched me down this research is trying to understand what is the contributors uh, part of this and how do we show up in a way that we get to play big and be a leader inside of an organization, whether you have a management job or not. And do work that's impactful and meaningful and really make a difference. So not being a position holder, but really being um, a difference maker. And to figure that out, we talked to, I don't know, 170 managers and asked them to compare two different contributors on their team. And this is the part that I think was so interesting is we asked them to pick two people, both of whom were smart, capable, and hardworking. But someone who was kind of going through the motions and getting it done versus someone who is having an enormous impact. And then we looked at that Delta. So you, you looked at the opportunities for people to show up better. And, and, you know, when I think about the listeners of, of the, of, of our podcast, you know, it's a lot of, a lot of leaders, a lot of managers, frontline managers, people that are trying to impact and better and, and improve the relationships with the people that they run. But it's a lot of people, including those leaders that are individual contributors in an organization, they can be better. And so when you think about impact players and you touched on some of the qualities in this uncertain time, how do you define an impact player? What, what sings out to you when you did your research and you said, okay, these are the qualities that these people have that are going to help move the needle in a better way. Hmm. Well, an impact player, you know, it's a metaphor I've borrowed, lifted from sports, but, you know, impact player is a stand out contributor who brings value everywhere they go. And it was one of the things that we find is that they're not just valuable in a particular job. They're the kind of people that you could almost drop them into any sort of role. And they're going to figure out how to bring value to the team. And they not only contribute in extraordinary ways, but we find that they, they raise the level of play for an an entire team, that people around them tend to show up stronger and better because they're on their team. It's kind of like, 
you know what, hey, we've got this person on our team. So somehow we're all just a little bit more confident and capable. Um, That's really what the impact player is. And what we found that they do differently is that it's how they respond to situations that are, are rich with uncertainty and ambiguity and chaos. So, you know, the way that managers described what I called the ordinary contributors, again, not not really average, but just typical. They were people who did their job, who followed direction, who took ownership, who carried their weight on teams and, and people who were focused. And I'm like, wow, that seems like in some ways the ideal team player, like someone you would want to hire. And what we found is that these ordinary contributors, they were stellar in ordinary times. But when it came to times where there were messy problems, problems that weren't like his job or her job, they're like no one's job, but everyone's job, the the ordinary contributor continues to do their job, whereas the impact player does the job that needs to be done. Like their job is sort of a, a starting point, a suggestion, like a base camp, like, okay, this is sort of what I do, but then when there's some issue or emergency or big opportunity, I venture out. They're rangy. Um, When it comes to unclear roles where, you know, we're collaborating, we're working together, but we're not really entirely sure who's leading this part of the project or this initiative or that meeting, you know, most people wait for that role clarification from above, whereas the impact players, they step up and they lead, but they don't lead a meeting or a project as kind of a a land grab, like, okay, I have to be the leader. It's like, you know what? There's a need here for someone to lead. I'll step in and fill that. But then when that work is done, I'm going to step back. I don't mean step out of management. I'm just like, I'm I'm going to lead until my service is done. And then I'm going to follow others with the same energy that I led others. So they like move very fluidly in and out of these leadership roles. And, you know, when unforeseen obstacles drop in the way most people like they take ownership and get it started but when it gets really messy and unreasonable like obstacles that are out of your control most people tend to escalate those up like okay this is a big problem let me give it to like the big boss whereas the impact players they just hold on to that ownership and they don't necessarily do it themselves and they don't necessarily get it done because they throw themselves across a finish line exhausted they get help, they get others working on it, but they maintain the ownership, which you can imagine how comforting that is to the people they work with and their clients. It's like they don't they don't pass it off. They hold on to it. And and there's a couple more. Um, you know, it's how they deal with moving targets and where others kind of like really stay strong and stay focused, like, okay, this is what we set out to do. Let's keep doing it, which in some ways is noble. The impact players tend to be adaptive. They're um, a little bit more reactive. They're they're changing as the world around them is changing. They're kind of more fluid in the way they lead, but they're also fluid in in what they're pointing themselves at. Um, and then lastly, it's how they deal with the Oh, I don't know, just the mounting and overwhelming workloads that so many of us feel right now, you know, 
most people carry their weight on a team, but when it gets like the workload's really heavy, they they look they look upward. They ask for help. You know, they go to their managers for help. Whereas in those very same situations, when people feel burdened around them, they make work light and they don't do it by saying, oh, like Chad, you look super busy. Why don't I take some of your work from you? It's not that. It's just they're easy to work with so that they don't become a burden to you. They're low maintenance. They're efficient. They're they avoid drama and politics. So in, in many ways, what they're doing is they're reducing the phantom workload so that people can focus on the real workload. And then they bring a sense of levity that makes like doing that hard work, that real workload, it makes it just a little fun. Like there's a little bit of a Mary Poppins effect, I think there. I have in my career, I've worked for all sorts of different leaders and and some are so hands-off that that I, you can't help but just be out there and try to change the world a little bit at a time, um, if that is your mindset, right? And there could be people that could just kind of coast through. Um, and then there's others that may you 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 kind of feel like you have to ask permission every time you kind of step out of out of your your box mm-hmm. at times. What do you find? Do you feel like people, those you know, the people that that typically would be labeled an individual contributor, but but. Uh, but you are basically saying be an impact player. Do you feel like those impact players, is that something that's, that's learned? Is that something that's innate or is that something that, that they have a leader that's, you know, provided them permission to be exceptional or do you feel like it's a, it's a mixture of all those things? Oh boy. Oh, so okay. That's an easy question. (laughs) You should ask me hard questions. I know. I know. No, that is, that's a great question. And, you know, yes, leadership matters. Like there are leaders that make it easier for people to not just do their job, but to do the job that needs to be done to kind of give people, whether it's implicit or explicit permission to go chase after the right issues. You know, there are, there are leaders who make it easier for people to say, wait a minute, I know we were building this, but the world has changed. Like we need to change with it. Like versus the leaders like, nope, this is the goal we set for the quarter. That's the goal you achieve for the quarter. So yes, the leader plays a role here. But what was fascinating is in these impact players, we found that the way they led themselves and the the fact that they were self-managing to a great extent, you know, not waiting to be asked to do something, but deciding, oh, that seems important. I'm going to go do it. They, they just engendered a lot of trust. And so people trusted their fluidity and they were trusted and respected by their colleagues. So it made it easier for them to step up and say, you know what, it looks like this meeting could use a, a, like someone to lead the conversation. Would it be helpful if I did that? People, like, of course, that would be helpful. So in some ways, they're securing that permission because they become these clutch players that we trust in critical moments. They're trusted by their bosses or trusted by their um, teammates. And so a lot of how they work makes them a little impervious to bad leaders Mm. or it makes them a little harder to diminish. Like diminishers would have to work harder around these kinds of folks. Um, But that's not to say that, it doesn't require like a good culture or environment to be able to 
have this kind of of impact. And to your, your to the part of your question, you're saying like, is it innate or is it learnable? I come from a learning and development background and leadership development. My my knee jerk reaction to all of these questions would be, of course, it's learnable with the right kind of training and coach and like a growth mindset. Of course, it's learnable. But I did the research on this and some of the qualities that we see in these impact players aren't as learnable as others. And and of course, I'm sure it was like learnable at some point in life. But like, for example, one of them is how oriented we are toward hierarchy. And this is, you know, we get a lot of cultural imprinting, whether it's from our child, our, our family culture, our national culture, maybe our first couple jobs in the workplace. Like some people come into a job with a real sense of, oh no, the boss is the boss. And you don't talk back to the boss. And if the boss asks you to do something, you don't question it. And so they're going to have a harder time with some of these impact practices versus the person who was kind of raised in an environment, which is like, yeah, you know, like your parents are just a little bit older, but like, they're not necessarily any smarter than you or, you know, like a very informal culture. I grew up in California. And so like informality is in my, like kind of in my blood and that mindset. So, um, you know, if you're a manager, what you want to do, of course, is it's higher for some of the traits that are less coachable, harder for people to learn like once they're in the workforce. So a sense of like formality might be one of them. Another is like, how strong is your internal locus of control? Like, do you have an assumption that you are in charge of fundamentally what happens in your life that you can control a lot of the outcomes or do you kind of operate more with the sense of, ooh, other people act on me. And then I simply react to that. Um, so you want to hire for the presence of some of those. And then the others are very coachable. So like use your coaching dollar there, your training dollar there, your coaching um, moment, like that, that coaching minute that, you know, Ken is so known for. It's like, use that on the things that are more malleable. And there are so many of them. Yeah. I love your alignment with, with Ken, you know, he, uh, and one of the things he's famously said is we don't hide, we don't go out to hire junk, which is why we're, we shouldn't have that distribution chart, uh, uh, curve that we, you know, we have to fire a certain amount at, at the end of each year. And also people don't wake up every day and say, I'm going to go into this job and be mediocre. You know, people can and want to be exceptional. And sometimes it takes a great leader to bring that out of them. So let's assume, and I like to assume this, that all of my, um, all of our listeners um, are exceptional people that have, you know, the right foundation to to fit into this mode. And let's mechanize some of this research that you found. How and what are some of the first steps that that you would share with our listeners right now? What should they do tomorrow, on Monday, whenever, to better increase their impact on the job? Well, I want to start with two of, I think, the most foundational mindsets and orientations. And the first is you see it in this first practice that I mentioned that the impact players are doing the job that needs to be done while other people are doing their jobs. So it's not about like, I'm going to work harder and do my job better. Like so many of the typical contributors were doing that. It's about doing what needs to be done. So there's an art form to figure out what needs to be done. And the way that I like to think of it is sort of what's the, what's the 
the real agenda inside of an organization. Like there's usually like a strategic plan, but then there's the agenda. And I don't mean like an agenda, like someone's got a knife, you know, kind of agenda. And they're like, you know, going to stab you in the back. What I mean is like, here's what's important and here's what's important right now. And the impact players are figuring out what the agenda is. Like in a meeting, there's like the written agenda and then there's the real agenda, which is like, here's what we're really trying to do. Or, you know, with this client project, here's what we're really trying to do. Or this quarter, like here are our goals, but like, here's what's really important. And, and if, if someone wants to get started down this path of greater impact, what I would suggest is a simple two-step, which is number one, figure out what's important to the people you serve, and then make that important to you. And, you know, for me, I, this was a hard, hard lesson I learned early in my career. I came into the workforce, like wanting to teach management. I'm surprised I didn't like pound on Ken, you know, Ken's door and say like, hire me, please. You know, I beg you (laughs) hire me because I want to teach leadership. I ended up taking a job at Oracle and, you know, about a year into my experience there, I had an opportunity to transfer to this training, internal training group. And I'm like, well, they mostly do technical training, but I have this feeling with the company's growth that they're going to expand their charter to include management training. So I'm gung-ho to get this job. I'm in the interview. I'm, I've am i answered the VP's question. And then I'm like, you know, this company's growing really fast. It, like managers are being thrown into these jobs without a lot of training. Like this company needs a management boot camp, And I would love to build that, like, kind of like, put me in coach. I can do this. I want to do it. I'm passionate about it. And the VP, he responded with them. He's like, well, that's great, Liz, but your boss has a different problem. I'm like what? And he's like, she's got to find a way over the next year to get 2000 new college, your college graduates up to speed on Oracle technology. She's got to get them like really tech savvy on the Oracle stack. And he said, what would be great is if you could help her solve that problem. So I wanted to teach leadership. And now Bob is suggesting that they need me to like teach programming to nerds. And I'm like, that's not the job I want. That's what not, I don't, I don't really care about that. Like I, I'm not into like the, the nuances of correlated subqueries. Like I get that I work for a software company, but like this is what I want to do. And I could see just in this moment, like what he was really saying to me was, Hey, Liz, how about you make yourself useful? And I'm like, wow. So it was like this choice point. What do I do? Do I sort of like, yeah, just sort of wait for an opportunity to do what I want or sort of be more convincing, put a proposal together, just start working on it. Or do I go do this thing that needs to be done that is not really what I want to do. And I'm like, you know what? He just told me what was most important to the company right now, which is getting new college grads, new hires up to speed on Oracle technology. If that's the most important thing, and if that's important to my boss and my VP and the company's growth, I'm going to make that important to me. And so I just kind of like, well, I said, okay, I'll do that job. I'm I, a little underqualified for it, but I'll give that a go. And I came to love teaching programming and I'm a sort of 
like a ruse even. I, I'm like now teaching programming to a bunch of hotshot <laughs> programmers coming out of like MIT and Caltech. And to this day, I'm hoping none of them are listening because to this day, I see a lot of these people and they're like, you know, Titans here in Silicon Valley. And they're like, Liz, do you remember you taught me like PL SQL? And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> like I was just, I barely knew, I knew like an ounce more than them, like a minute before I needed to teach it. But it was this thrilling job. But it it was really this two-step of figure out what's important. Fortunately for me, this VP kind of like hit me over the head with it. And then make that important to you. And when we choose to serve where we're needed, rather than sort of play the passion card, oh, I'm passionate about this, I want to do that. When we first do that, it's amazing how opportunity, how our influence grows, how opportunities to have an impact just keep being presented to us. And, and then you, you turn that cycle a couple times, and then suddenly you find yourself with so much influence and credibility that some of those things that are important to you are easier to do. People are like, what do you want to do? What do you think we should do? Like it wasn't too long before they're like, Hey Liz, we need to build this management training program. And like, let's do this. And now I'm doing it with a much bigger budget and with credibility and support. So I think this is at the, it's on the fast path to impact, but I think it's at the beginning of this path, right? Mm. Make the things that are important to those we serve important to us. So I always, I, I never want to make this podcast dated. I don't think it will be. I mean, we're recording this in November of, of 2021 and, and, and we've seen, you've seen, and all of our listeners have, have seen when they consume this podcast, uh, all the information and the research around the great resignation. And we're seeing numbers that are just all over the place with people that have more mobility and, and maybe less loyalty or, or just opportunity, right? They, they, they see an opportunity to, to, to do something else or take a shift or take a break. If you were speaking to those folks, the people that are on the sidelines right now that are regrouping and looking to relaunch themselves and whether it's around other passions or whether it's into different industries or they're just taking a pause. What, how, how do you consider those people, um, you know, as they start to get out there, as they want to present themselves in a new role to be an impact player? Mm, you're right. This is an important question. And I don't think we're going to date this podcast because this is true all the time. It's not mm. it's particularly, um, troublesome right now. So I kind of have a message for the the job seeker. And I also have a, a bit of a, a message for the managers, the hiring managers. So if you are one of the people who's using this moment in time to, to better optimize your work, like, yes, this is the time to pursue your passion. And, and pursuing one's passion, it's a great strategy for picking a path in life, uh, choosing a company to go work for, or starting your own company. But once you join an organization, like pursuing your passion can, can get you sidelined. Like everyone else is like in a stream of contribution and value and you're off like doing your thing. So yeah, of course you can pursue your passion. But what I would say is like number one job in figuring out where you go next is Find a place where you can have impact. Mm. 
And if I've learned anything studying leadership and studying contributorship is that people crave impact. Like it's, it's part of our human need. Like I've learned studying these leaders who are either multipliers or diminishers that, that people come to work desperately wanting to contribute everything that they have. And, and it becomes painful when they can't and that people want to do work that really matters. So, you know, you could look at it as like, what am I passionate about? I would suggest to edit on that is where can I have the greatest impact? Now, it might be something you're passionate about, but it might be this intersection between a real need, something that there's momentum, uh, something that you care about, something that you have skill and the missing component it is often and the right kind of boss. Like people often quit jobs and then they go get a new job. And I'm like, ooh, no. Mm. Go get a new boss. Like we tend to think, what job do I want? What organization do I want to work for? Oh, and who, by the way, is the hiring manager? Oh, they don't look so bad. I would put that number one. It's like who you work for can end up giving you an opportunity to have enormous impact, or it could give you an opportunity to build enormous frustration and resentment that actually has all sorts of collateral damage in one's well-being and emotional health. So it's like, go find a place that you can have a big impact and, you know, go find someone that you want to work with, whether it's a partner or a client or a boss who who's going to give you that platform for impact. Um, and, and then I would say to them, to the managers, like right now, there's this great resignation happening on, there's this like crisis of burnout. And it's so easy to look at that and go, people are working too much, too hard. They're tired. And, you know, yes, those are probably all true, but that's not really what creates burnout. Burnout. We don't burn out when we are working too hard, we burn out when we're having too little impact, like when we're working hard, but not making a difference. And so, you know, managers, as you're dealing with this shuffle on your team, like maybe the first thing that you can do to stop the sort of this bleed out is to help people achieve greater impact in the job they have, or as you're hiring new people, like how do I help them do work that really matters. And particularly when we're working remotely, it's so easy to lose sight of where our work goes. Like, oh, I'm a piece of this. Like I send, I do my analysis. I send my report off through the ether and I'm not quite sure what happens with it. Like managers let people know the positive effect of the work they're doing. Like, oh, you did that analysis. And you know what? We ended up using it in this meeting. We had a tough decision and those numbers helped us see where we needed to like double down on our investment and where we needed to divest. And this is what we're able to do because of your work. That's an enriching, energizing kind of situation, not a burnout situation. Paraphrasing here, but it's something I love that that Scott Blanchard has shared many times about the work we do at Blanchard is, you know, as, as leaders, you just don't want to be, and as a manager especially, you don't want to be talked about 
at the dinner table. That means you're probably not doing your job, you know, and that's where the angst and the, the, the stress and, and what you said, I mean, people typically don't leave jobs. They leave managers. They, they, they leave leaders that aren't enriching them and that are probably pulling away. So I appreciate that perspective. Liz, we have time for just um, one more question. I always like to end each of the podcasts with this one. As you look at all the research, you look at everything that you learned and, and all, all the hard work you did to write this um, over the last year, what's the one thing you want your, our listeners to kind of take away from, from your learnings? Mm. Uh, yeah, I like to think of it as like if I could stand on a tall building and shout and the whole world could hear, you know, what I might say is what I've learned is that in almost every situation, we have more power than we think we have that, you know, it's easy to get into work situations where like, well, my boss won't let me do this, or the culture's not supportive of that, or this is my job. Therefore I can't do valuable work. I can't, you know, that someone's preventing us from being able to do it. And it's what I saw across these impact players is they just assumed they had power and that they had power to step up, to take charge, to solve the right problem, to go back and negotiate the goal. So we're doing work that's relevant to be adapting and changing. And it's like, assume we have power. Assume you have power. It's great advice. Great thoughts. Liz, thank you so much for joining us. If our listeners want to to peer more into your world and, and learn more about you other than picking up this fabulous book, um, where would you send them? You know, you can get uh, you can get the book at a bunch of places. Um, the website for the book is impactplayersbook.com. And then you can get more information about, well, I'm easy to find on social media, um, but the organization that I'm part of and that I lead is the Wiseman Group uh, and it's thewisemangroup.com. Now it's the Wiseman Group. And I say that because wisemangroup.com is an interior design firm in San Francisco that I guarantee you has a much more beautiful website than we do. And probably way more interesting. Like I would spend more time on that site than our own, but we are the Wiseman group. So, so first off, A, I thought you were double dipping. I thought you had a secret life that you just didn't write about. And that's where your passion was when interior design. But secondly, I love that we also got a nice little plug to the Wiseman group. So if, if anybody wants to remodel their kitchen, they know where to go, but otherwise go to the Wiseman group if they want to. <laughs> I love it. Liz, thank you. Thanks for being a part of the podcast. Thank you so much for taking some time um, for us and Blanchard and also our listeners. Well, it is an absolute delight to talk with you. And thank you for joining us for today's podcast. If you enjoyed this interview and like to learn more and also help us grow the audience, please subscribe to the Leader Chat podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play or wherever you're listening. And please share this with your friends. The best way you can help us grow, though, is feedback. As Ken Blanchard says, feedback is the breakfast of champions. So please write us a review if you haven't already. And by the way, this podcast is sponsored by the Ken Blanchard Companies. If you'd like to learn more, there's even a lot of free resources to better yourself and your organization. Go to KenBlanchard.com. You'll find all kinds of free tools and materials to help you and others grow. Thanks again to our guests for joining us today. For now, I have the pleasure of turning it over to Ken Blanchard for his thoughts on what we discussed. Here it is, your final minute with Ken Blanchard. Chad, thanks so much for having Liz Wiseman 
on your podcast again. I'm a big Liz Wiseman fan. I thought her book Multiplier was fabulous about how the role of leaders is to help people be the best that they can possibly be. But what she learned and was the motivation for her writing this second book, Impact Players, is that you can't multiply zero. (laughs) If somebody's not bringing something to the party, you can't multiply it. And what she really shows is that a multiplier is someone who really can make an impact, who wants to find out what's important and is willing to do that and model uh, that. And so what you need to do as a leader is find these impact players and get them on your on your team. And she talks about impact players. Sure, it's born in them, some of it, but it also can can be learned. And the key thing is that they realize that it's not about them. It's about what's important and needs to be done. And they focus their energy on that. Wow. I think this is an important book for all of you to read so that you can see what kind of people you're hiring, what kind of people, what kind of person do you want to be? Do you want to be an impact player? Or are you just going to go in and do a job? Or you want to find out what's really important and do that job? So thanks, Chad. And thanks, Liz. You're both fabulous. Fabulous.